And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce star as Sherlock Holmes and Watson in a 1946 episode of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Then Dick Powell stars in a comedy drama on the Harold Lloyd Theater, hosted by Harold Lloyd from 1944. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. And look who's over there. It's Mike. Hey. Mike Costello. Gosh, the whole team is here. Who are you lucky? I know, and we're going to listen to a good mystery detective adventure of Sherlock Holmes. Now, Tom Conway stars as Holmes on this radio show. Basil Rathbone had left the series already, but Nigel Bruce stayed on and, in fact, got top billing on the show. So when you listen to this, you'll hear Nigel Bruce and Tom Conway star in The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Let's go back to December 7, 1946. This has a long title, The Affair of the Half-Eaten Apple, the Coptic Compass, and the Unclothed Corpse, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce. This will be interesting. Here's part one of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Well, here it is, Saturday night again in time for our weekly visit with that excellent host and incomparable storyteller, Dr. Watson. I'm sure he's waiting for us in the old familiar study, so let's waste no time enjoying him. Good evening, Mr. Bell. You're punctual to the minute, as usual. You bet I am. When it's time for Dr. Watson to tell a new adventure he had with the immortal Sherlock Holmes, I'm not going to miss a <laughs> second. It's nice of you to say so, my boy. Drop your usual chair and make yourself comfortable. Before I sit down, Dr. Watson, you mind if I take a look at the old metal case on the mantelpiece? It wasn't there last week. No, I placed it there because it played a prominent part in tonight's story. You see, it's a memento of yet another encounter that Sherlock Holmes and I had with the arch-villain of London crime. Professor Moriarty. But what is it, Dr. Watson? Looks like an old compass. That's exactly what it is, my boy. But there are no numerals on it. Just these strange figures around the dial. Well, those apparent hieroglyphics helped us to solve one of the most diabolical murders that we ever encountered. I call it the adventure of the half-eaten apple, the Coptic compass, and the unclothed corpse. Now, Dr. Watson... How's about the compass, the half-eaten apple, and the... And the unclothed corpse? <laughs> well, Mr. Bell, the adventure began on a November morning shortly after the turn of the century. Holmes, seldom one to indulge in exercise for its own sake, had displayed a rare burst of activity and joined me in a stroll through Regent's Park. 
Just before noon, we retraced our steps, and as we turned the corner into Baker Street, I nearly collided with a tall, well-dressed man walking in the other direction. Oh, I beg your pardon. Oh, it's quite all right, sir. Excuse me. Aren't you Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I am. I'm Major Stanley. Indeed. You're a little, little early for our appointment, Major Stanley. This is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? Dr. Watson. I am early, Mr. Holmes, and when your housekeeper told me you were still out, I decided to take a stroll. Then let's walk back together, and perhaps you can tell me your problem as we go. It isn't exactly my problem, Mr. Holmes. You see, I made the count to the Maharaja of Kasul. Oh, really? It's a very interesting job, I should imagine. Uh, yes, it you is. You know, I was in India myself, Peshawar uh, and further north. I was oh, once attacked uh, by... Quite, uh, Watson. Some uh, other time, don't you think? Oh, sorry, Holmes. The Maharaja's problem would seem pressing since his emissary has been so eager to reach us. Hmm? Uh, please continue, Major Stanley. Uh, Mr. Holmes, have you ever heard of the Star of Kasul? A fabulously valuable diamond, isn't it? Yes. It's the treasure of the Maharaja's collection. At the moment, it's in the vaults of the Bank of England. No, it's the best place for it, I should say. There have been several jewel robberies lately. Yes, so I've been told, and that's why I've come to you, Mr. Holmes. You see, the Maharaja has come to England to have his portrait painted by Sargent. Your problem becomes apparent, Major Stanley. When this portrait is painted, the staff Kasul will no doubt be set in the Maharaja's turban. And you quite justifiably feel concerned about the jewel's safety. Exactly, Mr. Holmes. It must be cleverly and closely guarded on its daily journey from the vaults to the Maharaja's suite and back. Well, hardly sounds like a job for you, Holmes. No, Major Stanley. Without wishing to appear conceited, I may say that such a routine matter is rather outside my scope. The Maharaja insists on having you, Mr. Holmes. I assure you his fee would be princely. Well, here we are at 221B. Come in, Major Stanley. We'll discuss the matter further, if you like. Mrs. Hudson, we're back. Very well, Doctor. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Yes, Mrs. Hudson? There were two gentlemen waiting to see you. Said they had an appointment, but they've gone. Said they'd come back later. Uh, did they leave their names? No, sir, they didn't. That's odd. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Hi, sir. Let's go upstairs, shall we, Major Stanley? Very well, Doctor. Regarding your problem, Major Stanley... It occurs to me that Humphrey Pedder might be a good man to see. Humphrey Pedder? Yes, I'm not personally acquainted with him, but I'm told that he specializes in the uh, uh, more physical aspects of detective work. The Maharaj will be very distressed if you refuse him, Mr. Holmes. Naturally, I wish to... Uh... I'm sorry, Major Stanley. I've made my decision. I can't handle the case. See Mr. Pedder, if you will. But, but Mr. Holmes, uh, can't we sit down and talk about it at least? Yes, Holmes. After all, there's no need to be rude. I'm afraid not. Good day, Major. I, I've heard you were eccentric, Mr. Holmes, but I, I didn't know how eccentric. Holmes, what on earth's the matter with you? You ask him up, and then you won't even let him in, uh, enter the room. For an excellent reason, Watson. Come inside. Look, there on the floor. Great heavens. I could hardly let the emissary of a Raja walk into a room containing a corpse, and an unclothed one at that. Lift the blanket off the face, Watson. Right, sure, huh? Yeah. Oh, Doctor, the poor man. Is that the face of one of the men that called here? Aye, sir, it is. Cover it again, Watson. I saw the other one leave, sir. He said his friend had already left. Oh, I never dreamed... This one you saw leaving, was he carrying anything? A bundle, perhaps? No, sir, he wasn't. Could you describe him? Well, he was tall and thin... And he had a high he was carrying no bundle, where are the corpses' clothes? There's no sign of them in here. What a shocking thing, sir. A murder right in your living room. Will I send for the police? Definitely not, Mrs. Hudson. And please keep this to yourself. Aye, sir. 
When a corpse is deposited on my own carpet, there's a certain point of honor in being able to present the police with a complete explanation when I do call them in. Uh, that'll be all, Mrs. Hudson. All right, sir. What a terrible thing. Holmes, this is incredible. Why leave a corpse here? And why unclothe? The obvious reason to remove clothing would be to make identification difficult. Then how did the murderer get the clothes out of here? Mrs. Hudson said that he wasn't carrying anything. We have many other questions to answer, old chap. The knife wound in the heart gives us no clue, I'm afraid. But observe the singular collection of objects that are lying beside the body. Well, let's have a look at them. A railway ticket, a funny-looking compass... And an apple that has been bitten into. The corpse has protruding teeth. I bet you that he didn't make the bite in this apple. Holmes, these must be the murderer's tooth marks. If you're correct, Watson... Our murderer is an extraordinary man indeed. Well, why do you say that? Because if you look closely, you'll notice the interesting fact that this bite was made by two sets of upper teeth. <laughs> you're, you're the one and no mistake, Professor Moriarty. <laughs> two sets of upper teeth. Well, that was the best touch. Yes, Carter. I must confess it was neat. Simple, of course. You start the bite with your upper teeth, Reverse the apple and conclude the bite. <laughs> yes, simple, but I trust also somewhat disconcerting for the great Sherlock Holmes. Our past encounters have given me an insight into his very unusual mind. I'd like to watch his face when he walked in there, Professor. So would I. But the next 24 hours will give me little leisure, I fear. I must arrange for a certain matter concerning a change of ownership in the Star of Kursul. This should be a fascinating game. But the old compass, the railway ticket. Carter, with your somewhat limited cranial development, it must be hard for you to absorb the subtler points in such a plan, but surely its basic purpose is obvious. Sherlock Holmes is about to be engaged by the Maharaja to guard the jewel. I had to divert his attention, so I perpetrated an intriguing murder on his own doorstep and... Surrounded the corpse with meaningless and completely unrelated objects which I knew would torment his curiosity and keep him off my trail. And that corpse would take some explaining to the police too, Professor. Yes, that's why I placed it there. It puts him in an acutely embarrassing position. He has to try and solve the case or become the laughing stock of London. <laughs> it's one of your neatest jobs, Professor. Oh, I won't say that, Carter. But I'm quite sure that I've posed a problem that Sherlock Holmes will be totally unable to resist. I can't resist this problem, Watson. No fee on earth could make me bother with the safety of a mere diamond when such a puzzle presents itself. On my soul, you talk rather as though you were settling down to a game of chess. You've got to solve this problem, Holmes, or else it's going to put you in a ridiculous position with Scotland Yard. And just think if it got into the papers. I shall reserve my imagination for the problem posed. The question of the apple is, of course, obvious. Well, I suppose all you have to do is to find a man with two sets of false upper teeth. <laughs> Very simple. Quite. The only way such an imprint could be left is to take a half bite with the upper teeth, reverse the apple, and repeat the procedure. The only question here is, why indulge in such a bizarre performance? Well, whatever the reason, those are the murderer's tooth marks. Unquestionably. You notice the eaten portion of the apple has only just commenced to turn brown. The bite was undoubtedly taken in this room. But to identify teeth marks is a monumental problem and might prove insoluble. Let's turn our attention to the compass for a moment. Well, I've never seen one like it. There are no numerals on it, no points of the compass indicated anywhere. 
Just a lot of funny little squiggles. Oh, no, Watson. Surely you recall the singular affair of the Coptic patriarchs? You overrate my memory, Holmes. In any case, I don't even know what a Copt is. My dear Watson, sometimes you astound me. Well, it seems to me it takes very little to astound you. I repeat, what is a Copt? The Copts are the principal Christian race descended from ancient Egyptian stock. What you refer to as squiggles on this compass, in reality, are letters of the Coptic alphabet. Well, that makes it more confusing than ever. An apple bitten into by an eccentric and now a compass with ancient Egyptian lettering on it. I just can't see any relation between the two of them. And yet we know there must be. That's what makes the problem so fascinating. Well, what does the compass tell you, Holmes? Two things. The Coptic lettering on the dial is inscribed by hand. Obviously, it was constructed for a Copt who could speak no European language. Yes, the corpse was definitely not of Egyptian origin. I'll wager that he was born not too far away from the sound of bow bells. I agree, Watson. And so the problem becomes more confusing. Now, uh, let us examine another piece of this fascinating puzzle. The railway ticket. Well, it's the unused return half of a first-class ticket from the village of Chipping Sodbury to London. Yes, and the date stamped on the back is November the 6th. Today? Yes, Watson, today. Chipping Sodbury is a tiny village. I imagine that the number of passengers that traveled from there to London this morning could be counted on one hand. You're going to Chipping Sodbury? Yes. It shouldn't be too hard to find out who purchased this ticket. And while I'm doing that, I want you to stand guard here. With the corpse? Yes, Watson. And I suggest that you keep your revolver handy. My revolver? You mean... I mean that after what has happened in one short morning in Baker Street, we should be prepared for any eventuality. Well, Dr. Watson, it seems to me that Professor Moriarty did quite a job in sending you and Sherlock Holmes off on a false trail. He did, Mr. Bell, and for a while his nefarious plan succeeded. But to take up the story where I left off... While I stood guard in Baker Street over the mysterious corpse, Holmes caught the next train for the tiny village of Chipping Sodbury. He told me that after a talk with the village stationmaster, he had no trouble in tracing the purchaser of the first-class railway ticket that we'd found beside the body. It had been bought by a dignified and elderly clergyman by the name of Russell, and Holmes lost no time in calling on him. The stationmaster told me, sir that you were the only person to purchase a return first-class ticket to London this morning. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I had occasion to make one of my rare excursions to London this morning. But though it was an unfortunate experience for me, I can't think my humble visit to the city could be a matter of any possible interest to you. I'm very interested in what happened to the return half of your railway ticket, sir. Very odd you should mention that. A regrettable business. Most regrettable. It was stolen from me by a pickpocket, together with my watch and chain. Didn't notice it until I had occasion to look at the time when I was lunching with the Bishop of St. Luke's. You've no idea when or where the theft took place, sir? I walked from the station. The crowds were quite dense, and I do recall being jostled rather heavily on one occasion. You reported your loss to the police, I suppose. Naturally, but I have little hope that they'll catch the criminal. Most regrettable business. Cost me a watch and the price of another ticket. An expensive lesson in the frailty of human nature. Do you uh, care for a cup of tea, Mr. Holmes? No, thank you. I'm afraid I haven't time. I must return to London on the next train. Urgent and unfinished business awaits me there. (laughs) 
followed Sherlock Holmes to Paddington Station, Professor Moriarty. Excellent. He caught the train for Chipping Sudbury, no doubt, Carter. Oh, yes, Professor. Well, fat lot of good, that'll do him, even if he does find the old clergyman we pinched the stuff from. Mm, but it consumed valuable time. Time during which I can complete our plans regarding the star of Kursul. Before midnight tonight, I think I can safely say that the jewel will be in our hands. <laughs> How very fortunate that Sherlock Holmes has such a devouring curiosity. Any luck, Holmes? A waste of valuable time, Watson. I found the purchase of the ticket all right. The return half, together with his watch, had been stolen by a pickpocket. Oh, Lord, so that means we start all over again. No, Watson. At least one clue has been eliminated. Let us analyze the remaining ones more thoroughly. Now, the problem of the Coptic compass should next engage our attention. A call on the Egyptian embassy might prove illuminating. You know, Holmes, while you were away, I had a brainwave. Congratulations. It was connected with the missing clothes from the corpse. Where, I asked myself... Where would be the obvious place to hide clothes? Why, in the, in the clothes closet, of course. So I searched both our wardrobes absolutely thoroughly. They weren't there. Interesting, Watson. Of course, I'd already done the same thing. Mm-hmm. The problem of the missing clothes is still... Numbskull. Yes, Holmes? Why didn't I think of it before? What is it, Holmes? The special wardrobe that I keep for my disguises in the dressing room. Come on, Watson. Right, Julius, I, I never thought of that. Perfect place for hiding the dead man's clothes. Let's see if there have been any recent additions to this raggledy collection of mine. Costa's outfit. And there's a clergyman's suit. You always made a surprisingly convincing clergyman, Holmes. And here's the unfailing passport to many a servant's back door. The stained and roughened worsteds of the English plumber. Yes, these patched and frayed ghosts could tell many a tale of... Hello. Look here, Watson. Plain blue suit in rather good condition. Quite. And it doesn't belong in my collection. I think we've solved the mystery of the vanishing clothes. The labels have been ripped out of the coat. Yes, and the pockets emptied. All possible identification removed. We're getting warm, Watson. We're getting very warm. Wait a minute. What is it? Give me a knife. Right, sure. There's something in the lining of this coat. Feels like paper. Perhaps the murderer didn't remove all identification after all. Here you are. These scissors will do the trick. Splendid. There we are. Piece of paper sewn to the padding of the coat. Yes. Let's see what it tells us. Humphrey Pedder, 118 Montague Crescent, Knightsbridge. That's the private detective you were talking about earlier on today. You suppose that Pedder's the corpse? At this stage, Watson, I shall suppose nothing. We'll go to Montague Crescent and find out for ourselves. Mr. Pedder, I can't say how glad I am that we found you alive and well. From what you gentlemen have told me, Doctor, I feel glad myself to be here. Is it your custom to have an extra identification label sewn into all your clothes, Mr. Pedder? Yes, Mr. Holmes. A detective never knows what may happen to him. I've always felt such identification might be valuable. A very sound precaution. Thank you, sir. And you will say that a suit of your clothes was stolen from your wardrobe last night? Yes, and I can't unearth a clue. Embarrassing situation for a detective, Mr. Holmes. Yes, it certainly is. Though I'm sure in your position, you've never had a thing like that happen to you. I um, doubt, Mr. Petter, if you know just how embarrassing a detective's life may become. Yes, indeed. Take our present situation, for instance. Quite, Watson. Mr. Petter. I can't get a word in it, Did Major Stanley call on you today? 
I suggested that you would be eminently suited to the task of guarding the Maharaja's diamond. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I'm going over to the Savoy tonight to talk to the Maharaja. Much obliged to you for giving me the recommendation, particularly since I've never had the privilege of meeting you. I'd heard very flattering reports of your ability. I'm very glad, Mr. Holmes. Your recommendation means a lot to me. Well, Holmes, we've drawn another blank. Yes, Watson. I fear we must return to Baker Street and see if an ancient compass can point the way to the solution. That's the first portion of Sherlock Holmes. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Where to, sir? The Egyptian Embassy in Grosvenor Square, Captain. What, you're getting it? Jump in, Watson. I feel a blasted fool trotting around London with a cupcake compass under my arm. I hope this leads us somewhere. If the excursion proves fruitless, Watson, I'm afraid I shall be compelled to get in touch with Scotland Yard. A few hours' delay in reporting a murder can be explained, but beyond that, we may find ourselves in trouble. Well, I think you should have reported it before this. By the way, Holmes, did you notice the broom and pair that drove up to Pedder's house just as we left? I'm afraid for once I was sufficiently preoccupied to yield to you in observation, my dear Watson. I'm not certain, but I thought that it was Major Stanley who, who stepped out of it. Major Stanley? And yet Mr. Pedder said that... But of course... What an idiot I've been. Cabby, Cabby. Yes, sir? Turn around and drive us to the Savoy Hotel as fast as you can. Right, you are, Dimmit. But uh, why the Savoy Hotel, Holmes? Surely the situation is crystal clear now, Watson. Just about as clear as porridge to me. The whole thing's a plot to fool me. Tell me, Watson, what is suggested to you by the combination of an unclothed corpse, a stolen suit, and a railroad ticket? Well, if I knew the answer, Holmes, I'd have given it to you this morning and saved ourselves a lot of trouble. The answer, Watson, is organization. A group of well-organized criminals who are able to perform these unrelated tasks. And who is the only person in London who can arrange for running the criminal gamut from murder to plain pickpocketing? Moriarty. Professor Moriarty? Of course. Remember Mrs. Hudson's description of our visitor? 
tall, thin, and with a high forehead. And if you add organization and Moriarty to Major Stanley, the Maharaja of Kasul, and the portrait painter, the sum total should be apparent. You mean that you've solved the problem of the unclothed corpse? I mean I know precisely how Professor Moriarty intends to steal the star of Kasul. Master Cabby, there's not a moment to lose. Mr. Holmes, it's an astonishing story you've told me. At least it explains my apparent rudeness this morning, Major Stanley. You can appreciate the embarrassing position in which my friend was placed, sir. You, yes, indeed. But, but of course you understand that Mr. Pedder here is now in charge of guarding the Star of Kasul. Quite, Major. And uh, you're in very excellent hands, I'm sure. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. But your own problem still fascinates me. The unclothed corpse, the compass, and the apple. As a humble exponent of your profession, I'm curious to see how you arrived at your conclusions. I reached them only just in time, Mr. Pedder. If I hadn't, I should at this moment be paying a fruitless visit to the Egyptian embassy. Well, I'm still confused, Holmes. And yet the answer is simple. What was outstanding about the crime committed at Baker Street? What was its uh, individual peculiarity? Well, I suppose the air of mystery that surrounded it. I prefer to use the word mystification. The crime fascinated me, stimulated me, as Professor Moriarty hoped it would until I realized that it was intended to do precisely that. The whole plan was a decoy, designed to prevent me from accepting your mission, Major Stanley. How could I accept such a commonplace job as guarding a jewel while such a fascinating problem was presented in my own living room? And the apple and the compass... Fictional were... clues that led nowhere, but were sufficiently challenging for the criminal to know I wouldn't be able to resist tracking them down. It's an amazing plot. And the railway ticket and the suit of clothes that were stolen from me were all meant to focus your attention elsewhere and away from the diamond. Exactly, Mr. Pedder. Well, Mr. Holmes, I assure you we are very grateful for the warning. Yes. We shall be more than ever on our guard now. We know where the danger's coming from. Professor Moriarty. I'm taking the star of Crossul back to the Bank of England in a few minutes. I assure you that I shall guard it extremely well. I think, Mr. Pedder, that if you don't mind, I'll take charge of the stone. But, Mr. Holmes, I've already been commissioned for the work. That's true, Mr. Holmes. Since you refused the job, I had to make other arrangements. Mr. Pedder was your own suggestion for the assignment. Nonetheless, Major... I think the Maharaja will sleep much more comfortably if I take charge of the stone. Holmes, I don't think it's very ethical. After all, you did refuse to take on the case, you know. This is hardly a time for ethics, Watson. Where is the staff Kasul, Major Stanley? I just handed it over to Mr. Pedder before you arrived. Then supposing you give it to me, Mr. Pedder. By the way, I don't have the pleasure of knowing your real name. But Holmes, he's Humphrey Pedder. Oh, no, Watson. The unclothed corpse of Humphrey Pedder still lies in Baker Street. This is one of Professor Moriarty's most trusted henchmen. You're too smart for your own good. Look out, he's got a revolver. A little slow in drawing it. A beautiful uppercut, Holmes. Send for the police, please, Major Stanley. We have a prize catch for them here. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I can't tell you how grateful I am. I'll take the liberty of removing the diamond from the pocket of our recumbent friend. There we are. Behold, Watson... The star of Kasul. What a magnificent stone. Magnificent. And yet one man was murdered for it. I only wish another might hang because of it. But Moriarty still goes free. And he killed Pedder. We'll catch him, Watson. We'll catch him. He is getting clumsy. If he'd noticed the credentials in Pedder's clothes, he would have been in possession of this bauble before the night is out. Instead of which, the evidence of this man here may help us to trap him. I hope so, Watson. But Moriarty inspires his henchmen with such loyalty that I doubt if he'll give us much help. The jewel is safe, our own peculiar problem is solved, and we've captured a prize villain. Next time, we shall capture the master himself. (laughs) 
Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Final Problem. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures. Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo. And inviting you to be with us next week at this same time. When Dr. Watson will tell us about the adventure of the elusive emerald. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. And that's the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes with the affair of the half-eaten apple, the Coptic compass, and the unclothed corpse, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce from December 7, 1946. That was sponsored by Crummel Hair Tonic, your favorite shampoo and tonic. That's why your hair looks so shiny and bright. Right. It gives it a little bit of a grease. A little greasy. A little greasy, but I kind of like it like that. But that's okay. Just You just carry a towel with you wherever you go and wipe the grease off. I love my hair. Nice and greasy. Do you? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That was heard on ABC. In just a few minutes, we're going to tune in to the Harold Lloyd Theater from 1944. I want to remind all of our listeners about our special club, the Classic Radio Club. Lisa, tell our listeners all about it. Well, you have started a classic radio club, and what you do is you receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs. They come delivered to your door once each month, and for your first offer for the first month, there's a very special price of only four ninety nine plus shipping and Wait handling. Wait $4.99. I don't know how you do it. What am I thinking? I don't know. 10 of the greatest radio shows you can ever get. We've got Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. And I know that not only do you handpick these with love, but Mike makes sure that they are the utmost of quality. Oh, so yeah. the sound quality is perfection. What we're doing is we have 100,000 classic radio shows in the library, all from master recordings, and I am hand-selecting, picking not only the best quality, as you said, but the most interesting shows. And the very first time, as you said, people can have these 10 shows on five CDs in a collector case for only $4.99. But, as you were about to say, then the next month, you get 10 more shows on five more CDs. That's a little more expensive. That's $14.99. But the retail value is much, much higher on this. And so if you want these delivered to your door once a month, like a surprise, or you can send them as a gift to a friend, a family member, you should check it out. Go to our website at ClassicRadioClub.com, or you can call a toll-free number. It's 888-642-6556. Can you repeat the number again? I sure can. 888 888- Six four two six five five six. And all of the information, everything you need to know, is at our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. ClassicRadioClub.com. Join. Many, 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 many people have been. And we You'll want you to it. be. Yeah, we want you to be a member as well. All right, it's time now for the Harold Lloyd Comedy Theater. This came to radio in 1944, hosted by the comedy star Harold Lloyd. These were comedy stories by top writers starring the biggest names from film and radio. People like Robert Young, Claudette Colbert, Fred Allen, Lucille Ball, Eve Arden, Burgess Meredith. They all appeared on this series, which was sponsored by Old Gold Cigarettes. It lasted for one season, and we have an episode now starring Dick Powell along with Victor Moore and Rosemary DeCamp. This is from November 12, 1944. It's called True to Life. Here's part one of the Harold Lloyd Comedy Theater. 
Hollywood, California, the Comedy Theater, the only radio program that brings you every week the greatest stars in the greatest comedies. Tonight's play, True to Life, starring Dick Powell, Victor Moore, and Rosemary DeCamp. And here is the director of the Old Gold Comedy Theater and your host, Harold Lloyd. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You know, someone once said, the movies should be more like life. And a wise man answered, life should be more like the movies. In tonight's story, True to Life, we're going to attempt to show that radio can be like both. Now, in the part of Link Ferris, I've cast Dick Powell. Thank you. Well, say, Harold, you forgot to tell everyone what kind of work I do. Uh, you're Link Ferris, and you and your partner, Fletcher Marvin, are the only two writers in radio making $1,000 a week apiece, while you're the kings of the daytime serials. Well, kings ought to get more than that. i got to see my agent. <laughs> well, no, wait a minute. You weren't supposed to say that. All right, Harold. But, you know, as one of the country's leading authorities on comedy... Whom have you chosen to play Pop Porter? You know, that calls for one of the biggest actors in the character business. Right. So one of the biggest characters in the acting business is going to play Pop Porter. Victor Moore. It sure looks like I'm getting the business around here. <laughs> Why, Vic, Pop Porter's a wonderful guy. He spends most of his spare time with his inventions. Yeah, well, say, Harold, who's going to play my daughter, Bonnie? Bonnie's an awful nice girl. That's right. And she's pretty, too. Well, Bonnie's going to be played by Rosemary DeCamp. Will I do, Pop? Why, you're the spitting image of Bonnie. In fact, you are Bonnie. Ah. Uh. Now, is everyone satisfied as to which is which? Which is which is a fine show. I listen to it every Wednesday night. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's great. That's fine, Victor. All right, now then, let's get on with the story. Far away. All right, Harold. Now, as uh, Link Ferris, Dick, you and your partner, Fletcher Marvin, are being read the riot act by Mr. Twitchell, president of Lemon and Twitchell, the advertising agency that pays you to write the radio adventures of Kitty Farmer. We've lost a million listeners, and if you don't know what's wrong with your scripts, I'll tell you. It's Kitty Farmer, your heroine. She's phoning. She's counterfeit. Now, unless you make that girl real and believable, you're fired, both of you. And that's final. I think the man's angry. Well, Fletch, old Twitchell's right. Live at a thousand a week has made us soft, and our writing shows it. Oh, you're nuts. I'm going to go out and meet some real people. Well, while you're about it, genius, see if you can find a real flesh-and-blood Kitty Farmer. And uh, how did you get along, Link? Well, not so hot, frankly. Finally, I was so hungry that I dropped into a lunch wagon out in Sunnyside. I just finished ordering roast beef with all the trimmings when I discovered that all I had was a nickel. So I changed my order to a cup of coffee. The girl behind the counter brought me my roast beef anyway. Nothing I could say would convince her that I wasn't broke and hungry. But Bonnie Porter was like that, and she was pretty, too. Later, walking home with her, I said... Uh, but tell me, Miss Porter, how come you're working in a lunch wagon? Oh, because my brother wants to be a doctor and my kid sister needs her teeth straightened. My pop works in a bakery. He hasn't had a raise in ten years. Besides, well, here's where I live. Come on in. No, the, you think it's all right? Oh, sure. Don't be scared. Come on. 
Anyone home? Now wipe your feet good, Bonnie. Don't come tracking mud into the living room. This is Mr. Ferris, everybody. Uh, my mother. How do you do? My brother, Clem. Hello. My kid sister, Twip. Hello. Hello. And that's, uh, that's Mom's brother over there, Uncle Jake. Well, how do you do, sir? Hmm? Hello. <laughs> oh, Pop, come on up. I want you to meet someone. Uh, be up right away, Bonnie. Up my hands, Dad's working on one of his inventions. It's a hobby with him. Well, Bonnie, I think I've got one that'll work this time. Pop, I want you to meet Mr. Ferris. Huh? Oh. Oh, how you doing, Mr. Ferris? I'm glad to know you. Well, how do you do, Mr. Porter? I'm glad to know you, sir. Uh, tell me, what sort of an invention are you working on? Invisible paint. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you paint something with it and you can't see it. Mm-hmm. That should be wonderful for camouflage. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about it, though. Huh? Yeah, I mixed up a batch of it and I put it in a can and I painted the can with it. And now I can't find it. Dumb <laughs> paint. Mom, tell that brother of yours to mind his own business. Mr. Ferris, Uncle Jake and Pop don't speak to each other. Uh, where are you from, young man? Mom, uh, Mr. Ferris came into the diner tonight and he was hungry, so I thought maybe he could live here with us until he finds a job and a place to stay. Finds a job? Place to stay? Uh, well, the way you followed me around, I knew you didn't have any place to sleep tonight. Well, now, look here, Bonnie. I'm not running a hotel. Oh, don't pay no attention, Mr. Ferris. We got plenty of room. Mom, your brother can sleep down the cellar with the rest of the mice. <laughs> now, uh, you sure you're not having trouble with the police, Mr. Oh, Barrett? oh, no, 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 I, uh... Well, I, I guess you can stay tonight, anyway. Oh, gee, swell. Oh, quiet, Twips. Go and get some fresh sheets. He's got a shifty look in his eye. Tell your brother he's looking in the mirror. <laughs> and that's how it all started, I... I had found a real kitty farmer. It was Bonnie Porter. I stayed on with the family and let them think I was out looking for a job. Actually, though, I was taking down everything they said. No one suspected that Fletch and I were putting the Porters on the air as the farmer family, true to life. Not even the president of Lemon and Twitchell, who said, Boys, I've read your first script. Congratulations. Why, kitty farmer's warm. She's real. She's human. And that family of hers, oh, they're wonderful. If you keep it up, you can keep it up. Well, oh, I... there's plenty more material where that came from, Mr. Twitchell. Fine, fine. Hey, um, hey, Link, what kind of a dame is this, uh, Bonnie? Oh, very ordinary. You wouldn't like her, Fletch. Not your type at all. Hmm. Now, suppose Bonnie, I mean Kitty, met another fellow, rich, suave man about town. You know, give the story new complications. Don't you think, huh? No, I don't think. Go on, pound the typewriter. By the way, Mr. Ferris, when are you going to get a job? Oh, now, Mom, Link hasn't really had a chance to look yet. Say, there is a job down at the bakery. Oh, Link, you could take it until something better comes along. Well, thanks, but I'm expecting something. Huh. I... If you ask me, I'll twist. Get away from that radio. Your food's getting cold. Okay, Mom, I'm just tuning in on the farmer family. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you another episode in the new series, The Farmer Family. As our story opens tonight, Pop Farmer... That's a pretty bad show. I've got a great idea for a submarine that flies. Some submarine. Don't you think we better have some music? Here, I'll change it. 
Oh, sit down, Mr. Ferris. We want to hear this. If your father had a little more gumption, he'd ask for a raise. That reminds me of someone I know. <laughs> Sounds just like Mom. No. <laughs> Link, what's the matter? Well, I, I've got the... <laughs> I've got the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold, you, hold your nose and drink some water. <laughs> oh, There's only one thing that will stop it. i got to sing. Now, Mr. Ferris, you get away from that piano. We want well, to hear this so album. there she was, yes, there she was. Link, but I, I didn't know you could sing. Well, that's just it. Your mother thinks I don't want to work because I won't take that job at the bakery. I've been trying to do something with my music. Oh, listen, Bonnie, do we have to have that radio on? No. Uh, Uncle Jay, turn the radio off. I want to hear this program, if you don't mind. Tell them we do mind. Yeah. Hey, uh, Link, do you know Nellie Gray? Oh, I think so. How's it go? Oh, my darling, Nellie Gray, they have taken you. Now, who is that? Well, that's probably the neighbors complaining. I'll go. And uh, who was at the door, Link? Well, it was a good old Fletch, my A-W-O-L partner. A-W-O-L? Yes, a wolf on the loose. Oh. (laughs) He passed me by as though I were a total stranger and asked to use the telephone. Kept his finger on the hook while he called the cops and reported a phony holdup. (laughs) He must have wanted to meet Bonnie pretty badly because he was dressed fit to kill. I was wondering what the bounty was on a wolf pelt by the time he said, Well, I'm afraid I must be going. And, Miss Porter, uh, tonight has been an adventure in more ways than one. Oh, thank you. If you ever get held up again in this neighborhood, drop in. There's always someone home. Well, I'll just see Mr. Fletcher to the door. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Now, listen here, Prince Charming. Get back to the castle and start typing. Hey, Link. Nice setup. I'll be glad to move in and do the research. Say, that Bonnie's a honey. Listen, brother. Uh, Mr. Ferris. I want to speak to you a moment, privately. Uh, well, uh, goodbye, Mr. Ferris. Ferris. Uh, yes, uh, I'll see what I can do for you. And now then, Mr. Ferris, I just thought I'd better tell you, at five o'clock in the morning, you either get up and go to work at the bakery, or you get up and get out. What time did you say? Five o'clock. Oh, that's what I thought you said. Yep, this is Harold Lloyd again. Mom, Pop, Jake, Fletch, Link, and Bonnie. All of them true to life. Well, uh, let's get back to our confusion. So, uh, you took the job at the bakery to uh, stay on at the Porter's, eh, Link? Yes, but that wasn't the worst of it. Fletch started a campaign for Bonnie, sent her orchids and a note. It was a dirty trick, and besides, my conscience was beginning to bother me. So right after dinner, I went to see Fletch at our apartment. All right, all right. So I did send Bonnie some flowers. Oh, I'm through. As of now, I consider the farmer family orphans. Why, Link, old man, you're not jealous of little harmless me, are you? Well, that's got nothing to do with it. The porters are nice people, and I'm through using them. Well, it's not hurting them any. It'll hurt them plenty if they ever find out about it. And I can't keep that radio of theirs out of order forever. Oh, it wouldn't be so bad if we could just do something for them. Well, I'm for that, Link. Listen... I'll go down to the bakery in the morning and fix it up with the boss for the old man to get a raise, a big one. We'll pay for it ourselves. Hey, that'll go good on the show, too. Pop gets a raise. Can't we ever do one human thing without getting our pound of flesh? (laughs) I knew you wouldn't let me down. Hey, you better get to bed. You have to be at that bakery at five. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm getting so little sleep these days, I've got white circles under my eyes. And that's the first portion of the Harold Lloyd Comedy Theater with True to Life starring Dick Powell. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Harold Lloyd Comedy Theater from 1944 starring Dick Powell. Then it's the Green Hornet from 1952. You won't want to miss that. We'll see you next time right here on Hollywood 360.